This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, Hong Kong exchanges profits soar 28% as Hong Kong is open for business once again, NPM seeks to go T plus 10 from T plus forever, Euroclear's curious windfall, and we ask the question, what do the Taiwanese, Malaysian, Israeli, and even Colombian CCPs have that LCH, Ice Clear London, LME Clear et al. do not? My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 192. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All the analysis of the many events and happenings from the past seven days can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, the unique guide to the bourse business sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. This week in bit carnage. Well, let's start by quoting a Binance statement that's from Binance US, delivered by, where else, Twitter. The hostile and uncertain regulatory climate in the United States has introduced an unpredictable operating environment impacting the entire American business community. We are focused on creating a safe platform where our customers can participate in the digital asset economy. Last week's Exchange Invest Bit Carnage newsletter, all the issues are available now on Substack as a separate standalone. That reported Binance was back in Russia, slightly less than a month after being sued by the CFTC in the good old US of A. Then Binance dropped the Voyager deal, potentially losing a $10 million good faith deposit and leaving itself open to paying a reverse termination fee. That's a remarkable volta facie and what will be deemed another victory for the SEC, which had been fighting the Binance takeover through the US court system. Leaving aside that the Voyager bankruptcy judge is now perhaps the most exasperated person in all of America, this looks like another regulatory flounce which will draw attention to the crypto crackdown of 2023. However, the ability to proclaim the US government drove us out narrative is only part of the story. Binance has been talking the talk for a while about doing regulation and has a huge core of patsies, <laughs> sorry, has a large cadre of experienced regulatory folk, many with government backgrounds, bearding their process, I mean, sorry, responsibly helping combat crime and raise AML KYC standards. Nevertheless, at its core, the firm was very very reluctant and a late-moving participant in the move towards endorsing crypto regulation in any shape or form. One of its few arms with full regulation was, of course, Binance US, but questions have been raised for months over the governance of that organization, with talk of some curious happenings, including large money transfers, which raised shrieks of four FUD. Thus, Binance US has struggled with issues of just how independent it actually is from a parent supposed to keep it at arm's length. 
Bloomberg has meanwhile pointed out that Binance US's tech work is parceled to a crew in Shanghai. Having 20% of the Binance US payroll in China is pretty much a distributed gauntlet in the face of the Washington DC elected polity. At the same time, given all the paranoia about Sino-influence, rumours this week were robustly denied that CZ himself has been a member of the Chinese Communist Party. Whatever forfeit may be true in certain cases. Nevertheless, when it comes to Sino-influence, having 20% of your payroll in mainland China, that means that questions are inevitable in the US, and ultimately Binance having a US arm leaves it at risk even more than it was after the first round of CFTC charges. Therefore, a statement last week by CFTC Commissioner Johnson stating there is no path forward in the Binance lawsuit, as reported in CNBC, looks like a severe understatement. In other news, William B. Travis believes he can see a means to keep things on an even keel at the Alamo. Moreover, note that in the past week, Bloomberg has been a remarkable cheerleader for CZ Binance, where Reuters have long been dropping exclusives, which met a wall of forfud on social media. Now it seems all arms of the media may be turning on Binance, even Forbes, in which Binance apparently still retain a 20% stake. The New York Times, once a cheerleader of crypto lovies like SBF, even published a story, Binance faces mounting pressures as US crypto crackdown intensifies. That will doubtless have the conspiracy theorists reckoning the deep state is anti-CZ Corp. What does this all mean? Given Binance US is a minority business on the balance sheet of the Binance Empire, and given the long tentacles of Binance in a lot of frontier markets, plus the Russian story of last week that it had returned there, it strikes me CZ is on the cusp of abandoning the US. The Voyager deal was raising so many hackles it was untenable. Binance has already cut and run in Australia during the course of April. Wherever the mobile bunker is currently for CZ, I fear, and yes indeed, forfad me down, ladies and gentlemen, that the mood is feeling a teensy touch of victimization at wherever Binance HQ may be. In the USA, CZ has lawyered up, and it looks like Binance is digging in for a big fight, but it strikes me Binance is about to simply dump the US business. When pressure became too great in the past month, as I noticed, Binance closed its Australian operations. Is it better to be on under legal threat from the US or to cut and run back to Dubai or perhaps even Paris? So don't be surprised if Binance ceases to have any American footprint soon. The gamble that President Macron's France EU is bulwark between the US and elsewhere. Crypto edition may soon be tested. Expect that too to crumble rapidly. If you enjoyed this excerpt, you may be interested to know you can read BitCarnage every day in Exchange Invest. Alternatively, if you want to follow BitCarnage alone, the daily update in happenings in the world of crypto and digital assets, you can find BitCarnage as a standalone on Substack. Into the main meat of the stories of the week, the blame storm is on and everybody is wrong. The London Stock Exchange, part of the London Stock Exchange Group, a data company, shamefully having ignored its exchanges in the refinitive race for years now, has blamed the UK government. Herman Hauser, the inspired entrepreneurial founder of Arm, a big chip company now listing in the US in a mega deal, blamed Brexit. But given he's not listing Arm in the EU27, rather he's listing it in the US, as I noted, 
That story looks like a means to keep his Ramona neighbours off his back in leafy Cambridge where he lives. Then the UK said it was kinda gonna deregulate a bit, but ultimately nobody is focusing on the City of London having a risk of non-equity culture nowadays. And that needs to change, which requires all the people blaming each other to move forward and support enterprise, markets, deregulation as a blanket issue and lower taxation. None of these are in the agenda right now in the UK, and the blame storming is only harming the City of London. In Africa, the Ghana Stock Exchange and PAPS, as well as PAPS and ASIA, PAPS being the Pan-African Payment and Settlement System, have signed an MOU with an exchange, Ghana, and also with the African Stock Exchanges Association. Bring on the possibility that that MOU will advance cross-border payment for stock exchanges in Africa. In Ireland, they're fretting about how US listings, the same thing that's affecting the London Stock Exchange at the moment, is going to cost Ireland some 250 million euros in lost taxes. The Times, not the Irish Times, but the Times of London, Irish edition, noted in the headline, Stock Market Can Be Home of National Champions. It's a degree of navel-gazing about the Irish Stock Exchange, which frankly wasn't so evident before Euronext bought it. And that is not to criticise Euronext's investment in Dublin, but rather to call out the apathy of the Dublin blob failing to support their stock exchange for years. Meanwhile, at least Dublin has kept the listing of Kingspan, which is dumping London to move to New York, which will of course therefore allow it to further garner mandates from the Biden infrastructure boom on the other side of the Atlantic, following on from CRH and Flutter. Speaking of Flutter, their subsidiary Betfair received a £300,000 penalty for offering bets on Sweden's under-21 football league. That amounted in local currency to 4 million Swedish krona. Other investigations, the CBI, that's the fraud squad in India, they've opened an investigation into suspected misuse of funds at MSEI. That is, of course, the Metropolitan Stock Exchange of India. In results, it was a frantic week for results in the parish. All the details were in Exchange Invest daily, day by day. The newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. The Hong Kong exchanges, they romped home with awesome results, beating analysts' estimates, posting 28% jump in Q1 profit on a rising investment income, strong derivatives trading, slightly lacklustre across the stock franchise, but nonetheless proof that Hong Kong exchanges are definitely open for business in the new post-COVID environment in the SAR. And indeed, giving us a very, very exciting gateway towards the expansion of the Connect system. One slight negative post-nickel nightmare, the LME was the last the subpar reporting element here. Income down 12% at LME itself and 13% at the CCP, following a 14% decline in trading volume with nickel, nightmare legal and professional fees, all that amounts to Oliver Wyman's report et al., contributing to LME operating costs soaring 19%. In other results this week, I'm going to pick one set. Fascinatingly, privately owned, of course, amongst a cabal of, what, 64 banks or there or thereabouts and some exchanges, Euroclear's profits are soaring. But actually, that's a kind of artificial inflation due to all of the Russian sanctions issues, which are allowing all sorts of payments to pile up on the balance sheet of the Brussels-based clearing and settlement organisation. 
In deals this week, Deutsche Börse, they hit the headlines, as well as producing not bad results for the first quarter. They've made a 3.9 billion euro, that's 4.3 billion US dollar acquisition bid. They're looking to try and buy SimCorp. Now, SimCorp, that's a very interesting possibility because essentially the race is on for somewhat asynchronous subscription services in the Deutsche Börse Empire. DB1 now establishing a separate conflict of interest silo based around their previous controversial purchase of the ISS conflict of interest machine, which will therefore be rolled up alongside SimCorp and other assets. The ASX, meanwhile, dropped the bombshell that Yield Broker is under a bid from a subsidiary of TradeWeb in Australia. ASX have received a notice of a meeting because they hold a 49% stake in the interest rate platform dating back to 2014 during the Elmer Funk Cooper CEO era of ASX. Ucurve received an offer from TradeWeb Markets of 125 million Australian dollars, that's about 82.5 million US dollars. Given ASX paid 65 million dollars for the stake nine years ago, it's far from a success, but then again, compared to, for instance, the chess debacle, only losing a few million Australian dollars over nine years, and let's not even worry about the cost of capital, looks almost like an unmitigated success for the Australian exchange monopolist. If you're trying to understand where the profits are going to be coming from in the future of digital markets, you need to read my most recent book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. That is published by DV Books and distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, check out our live stream Tuesday, 6pm London time, 1 o'clock New York time, the IPO video live show. Catch the back episodes on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-vid. We had an epic discussion this week in IPO vid 104 with Dr. Reiner Zittelman. He was discussing his latest book and what a great title it has. In Defence of Capitalism, something we all need to participate in, ladies and gentlemen. Coming this week, Philip Roscoe, sociological researcher in economics and lecturer in Scotland. He's going to be discussing how to build a stock exchange from an altogether different angle. That's coming on Tuesday at 6pm London, or indeed 6pm Edinburgh and St Andrews time, which is, of course, 1 o'clock Eastern time, New York in the USA. Catch IPOVid via LinkedIn, YouTube, and even Facebook. Product news this week, the VIX owner SIBO, they were celebrating their 50th anniversary this week and they're planning more short-term products after a one-day fear gauge launch. So all manner of VIX spin-offs are going to be happening. TISE, that's what used to be called the Channel Islands Stock Exchange, still based in the Channel Islands, the British Overseas Territory. They've launched a private markets offering. Liquidnet are joining forces with an arm of their parent company, TPICAP, that's TPICAP Midcap, to provide block liquidity in small and mid-cap entities. That's a fundamentally sound idea if Liquidnet can make it work using their core block model in the SME listed markets. It's easy to forget that amongst a heap of data apps, once upon a time there was a fundamentally great idea at Liquidnet. The problem was management stubbornly believed nobody else would notice that Liquidnet had a five basis point monopoly in the space. Technology news this week, May the 8th, launch day for the Stock Exchange of Thailand and the Thai 
Futures Exchange, TFEX, to implement their new trading system developed by NASDAQ. All the very best with that. Meanwhile, NASDAQ Private Markets have launched their premier private company stock transfer and settlement solution. An excellent idea. The opportunity in private company settlement is absolutely immense, as I've been saying for a decade. Here, NASDAQ appear to be focusing on the thorny side of T plus forever, where there are 90 to 120 day norms in private PEVC rounds, often reducing that to as briefly as 10 days is the aim of Nasdaq private market. Excellent stuff. Elsewhere in tech news, Exchange Data International, they've introduced email alerts for the Worldwide Corporate Action Service. Of course, EDI CEO Jonathan Block was our guest on IPOVID 65. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. The curious conundrum of CCP recognition leads our regulation stories this week. As of the end of April, by the way, Indian CCPs are no longer recognised in the European Union by ESMA. But it's good to see ESMA adding four new exchanges around the world to their mutual recognition operation. Bursa Malaysia Derivatives Clearing in Malaysia, Taiwan Futures Exchange Corporation in Taiwan, the Camara de Riesco Central de Contraparte de Colombia in Colombia, and the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange Clearinghouse. However, that of course leaves us with a glaring omission. It's great that ESMA has recognition agreements in place with Australia, Brazil, Canada, Hong Kong, Japan, Mexico, South Africa, South Korea, Singapore, Switzerland, UAE, USA, plus now Colombia, Israel, Malaysia and Taiwan. But can anybody take the EU and ESMA seriously for as long as they ignore the world's largest most cosmopolitan financial centre and refuse to recognise the series of massive UK CCPs. The EU diminishes its credentials and credibility at the altar of its fundamentally political protectionist machinations. Career paths this week, MCX. They have slumped in share price after the CTO, Shashank Sate, surprisingly resigned. The Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, they've got a new... Very high-profile chairman in Israel, Eugene Candle, previously served as chair of Israel's National Economic Council and as an economic advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We haven't heard from Sam Bankman-Fried for a while, but last week he suffered a hammer blow to his life under de facto house arrest at his parents' place in California. The FTX liquidators have chosen to close SBF's favourite game, Storybook Brawl, as Bloomberg reported. It's another sign of the remarkable SBF ability to turn assets into liabilities. Storybook Brawl was a minority platform which peaked at 2,770 players, according to Steam, in September 2021, six months before FTX bought it. When SBX bought his fave game, he was actively playing it, just hours before the police arrested him in Nassau, Bahamas, for instance. Unfortunately, Storybook Brawl suffered many spontaneous user uninstallations as soon as FTX purchased it. Storybook Brawl numbers were around 817 before it was bought by FTX, and those dropped to 331 during the course of the month of April. Presumably also they may have lost SBF as a player given the new constraints on his computer use. Sam Bankman-Fried once claimed Storybook Brawl could be a champion of ethical crypto gaming. Nope. 
I don't understand what that means either. Even if he was able to play it before, it seems John J. Ray, ahead of any judicial impositions on technology usage by the co-founder and former CEO of FTX, has sentenced SBF to spend a lot more time with Snake on his eminently non-smart phone. In a remarkable socialist twist for the effective altruism movement, the SBF acquired via FTX storybook brawl was closed down on May the 1st. Gamers of the world unite, anybody? And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, creator of Markets Worldwide, publisher of Exchange Invest and the BitCarnage Substack, all newsletters you can reach online, including via exchangeinvest.com. I wish you a great week in blockchain, life and markets. And as a final footnote, let me add, long live the king. I hope it's a wonderful coronation across the forthcoming weekend. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.